can open in prayer. Father God, we do thank you. Father, we just uh, thank you for just the freedom to come into your house, Lord. Uh, Father, uh, just the joy of uh, sharing with fellow believers. We don't take it for granted, Lord. We just ask now that um, you would uh, be here. Father, uh, just uh, hide me, Lord, and uh, say what you need to say. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Uh, Hebrews 12, if you want to flip over there for a second. Yeah, I'm going to read from uh, 8 to 11. It's four verses. So Hebrews, Hebrews 12, 8 to 11. If you are not disciplined, and everyone undergoes discipline, then you are illegitimate children and not true sons. Moreover, we have all had human fathers who disciplined us, and we respected them for it. How much more should we submit to the Father of our spirits and live? Our fathers disciplined us for a little while as they thought best, but God disciplines us for our good. And the reason is that we may share in his holiness. No discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful. Later on, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained by it. And we ask that God bless us the reading of his word. Yeah, so we've been talking about uh, sanctification and the way God uh, prunes us and uh, shapes us, molds us, and uh, part of that whole process is discipline, of course, disciplining us, teaching us discipline. And this is part of his overall preparation for us, uh, for what he would have us uh, do, ministry, how he would have us live. Um, and we have to realize that for every Christian, God does his preparation in a different way and in a different time. There might be more intense seasons of preparation and then not so intense. But you never get to actually plateau. You're either moving towards God or away from God, right? We don't get to just stop. And I stress this every time. We're talking about this book, Journey in the Wilderness. And the fact is we all have our own individual wilderness. Different than your spouse, different than your children, different than anybody. You are walking up the mountain individually. So, uh, one thing I want to do is look at three examples in the Bible and uh, of people that underwent discipline, right? That were, uh, I don't want to say intensely sanctified, as I'm separating that out, but sanctified by God and heeded that sanctification. Uh, from the three, we're going to see that God's methods vary with each individual. You can't look over at your neighbor and say, you know, why are they having such an easy time? Why are they having a different walk than me? But God's objectives are the same. And those are generally three, you can put them in three categories. To teach us something, to humble us, and to bring self-discovery. That's very specific teaching about yourself, who you are. 
So he does that and using three different things or three different ways. Uh, he takes us to our limit, but he doesn't take us over what we can handle. He always shows us a way out. Uh, secondly, uh, he pushes our buttons. Um, he challenges us, in other words, in order to expose our hearts to ourselves. Right? He already knows our heart. He wants us to realize it. And three, uh, he shows us our motives uh, and loves us in spite of ourselves. Right? Sometimes we're our own worst enemy. God's purposes in preparing us, he wants to bring purity. He's trying to chip off that old stuff that's no use to us. Right? doesn't help us. He wants us to cast off the old nature. The Bible says, the pure in heart shall see the face of God. So he's trying to get us to that purity. Um, so bring purity. Secondly, bring wisdom. Not only learn from our mistakes, in other words, but change our behavior. And not just change it in any way, but change it so that it lines up with what God would have for us. Right? So part of wisdom is increased obedience to God. And third thing is perseverance. Okay? He wants us, when challenged, uh, not to falter, but to rely on him. Okay? And the Bible says perseverance produces character. And all these three in general, purity, wisdom, and perseverance, produce character which comes from experience, from responding to experience or circumstances that we find ourselves in, in a godly way. You can respond any way you want, but there is a godly way to respond. Our failures and our sufferings, either, our choices can be uh, down to two things. Either obedience, that is relying on God, or a hardening, right? Rejecting God and where he's trying to take us. Um, the uh, Israelites in the wilderness obviously gave the wrong response, and when you do that, when you don't obey God, it just prolongs the process. God has many ways to teach you, and he's not shy of giving you that lesson again and again, right? Uh, he is persistent. And God's persistent discipline allows us to enter or experience the fruit of righteousness. Right, we talked about the fruits of the Spirit last week. And we realize from this that another word for preparation or sanctification is purging. We realize that uh, his purging is a mercy, that it is a kindness to us, right? He's trying to get us, as Ross said, to lie down in green pastures. Why do we insist on lying down in brown pastures? You know, he wants health and goodness for us, right? So you resist him, he gives you the lesson again, right? Out of his kindness and mercy. He never says, no, I'm not going to show you that. He never walks away. Anyone and everyone who ever did anything of significance for God to uh, advance the kingdom either in or out of the Bible, because since then people have been advancing the kingdom, not just people in the Bible, they had to be prepared, right? You can't just uh, act on your own strength. So as I talk about the three Bible characters, uh, as examples for our own personal preparation, 
the temptation is going to be to say or to think, oh yeah, but that's those guys. But you're looking at these amazing people in the Bible after their preparation. I'm going to talk about before they became who they became and then walk us through what happened as a result of that. So, let's not excuse ourselves here and say, oh, yeah, that's Moses, that's David, that's Joseph, right? Yeah, yeah, that's right. <laughs> that's Joseph right there. Uh, you know, we cannot look at these guys as if they have a different God than us. Okay? Otherwise, we're saying, oh, he did that for them. He can't do that for me. So you're saying God's limited? Are you saying God changed? No. So. Okay. So a few facts about these characters first. Uh, first, uh, they had character flaws that were healed. But they had character flaws. Okay. And we're going to look at those. Uh, they were ordinary people. They were just human flesh and bone before they were prepared, even afterwards, right? And as I said, they served the same God as us. And fourth, they were just as broken and weak as us, but, but God caused them to conquer their enemies, whatever the enemy is for us, right? Remember we talked about the Adamic nature last week, that there are all kinds of challenges. And whatever that is, God can help us if we listen to him to conquer those. So the conclusion is that God can, be power, can do powerful things through anyone uh, who is surrendered to him. Anyone. Us. Right. <clears throat> okay, so I am going to start with Moses. Uh, first of all, you know the stories about these characters. So forgive me, I'll reiterate a little bit, but you generally know the stories. Uh, so Moses' life was preserved. We know about the papyrus basket. So God preserved his life. Uh, then he educated them in Pharaoh's household. Um, and you think, oh, well, that was something special I didn't get. Don't excuse yourself here, because we've had many years of education, right? For our parents, 13 years of school, etc., etc., etc. Many more than Moses had, right? Than some of these guys had. Um, then, uh, you know the story, he kills the Egyptian, right? Who was abusing one of the uh, Israelites. And what's this show us about Moses? It doesn't show us a strength, really. It shows us a weakness. It shows us a rashness, right? Working in his own strength. It also shows a motivation that he couldn't just stand by and let something happen, right? As bad or as good as that is in that situation. It showed also that he had a hatred for injustice, right? So if you're here and you just can't stand seeing unfairness, you know, someone treating someone and getting away with it, treating them poorly or something, that's that same spirit that Moses had. Um, and then we know what happened. He's uh, walking along the next day. He sees two Israelites, one abusing the other, and uh, the guy's abusing the other fellow says to him, oh, will you kill us too like you did the Egyptian? And then he knew the word was out. So he said, ah, into the wilderness for 40 years he goes, right? Um, now I know some of these are physical wildernesses, but also it's a personal wilderness. Um, in that wilderness, 
He learned leadership, intercession, and prophecy for both Egypt and Israel. And over time, you could imagine, as he's out there in the back of Sinai, wherever he was in the desert tending sheep, um, that he might have questioned his decision a few times. Never do that. You're going along here and you make a decision and it makes your life harder. <coughs> he could have lived in court, you know, in the court, Pharaoh's court. Every day he could have had a big table full of food. I mean, the difference then and now between rich and poor, you were either scrounging in the street for food, barely, and at the mercy of the government to kill you any minute, or you had a table full of food, fancy clothes, and a shower, and whatever, right? So he left all that behind because he wanted to be one with his people. Um, so he was exiled from both Egypt and Israel. Um, and he wasn't born humble. This is what you have to realize, that these guys were not born, you know, looking uh, to others. He was um, domineering. Okay? He saw some kind of a problem and he thought, I'm just going to fix that. I'm just going to take charge here, right? It wasn't coming from some great humility that he was wondering how that would affect everybody beforehand. <clears throat> he wasn't born humble, but he was humbled by his circumstances. Right? And God will humble all of us if we let him. Depends on our response. So in Moses' wilderness, he learned dependency on God, right? How to keep sheep safe. Um, and this was necessary to lead Israel, uh, necessary for their deliverance, right? You have to be in charge of a lot of people there. His education was important because he had to speak to Pharaoh, not as a slave, but as a former member of court, right? Held a lot more weight, you know, coming from that position than it did some guy showing up at his door saying, you know, God told me this, get out of here. You know, he's not gonna listen to him. Um, so God gave him, exposed him to all these opportunities, you know, for his growth. And uh, it's very interesting the way Moses argued against God and didn't want to do it. In various, I wrote this down in Exodus 4.13. He says, oh, Lord, please some, send someone else to do it. <laughs> finally, he, just, he kept arguing with God. He finally said to him, please, please, you know. And at that point, God's anger burned against Moses. He said, what about your brother Aaron? You know, and it'll be like you're speaking. He still wouldn't let Moses off the hook. Moses still had to lead the people, still to do it. Please send somebody else. It's very natural, I know we've all had this experience, to be afraid when change happens. The bigger the change, the greater the fear, right? Fear comes first, and then it's fight or flight. But that fight or flight thing comes after, fear first. So it was a natural response, right? It's a big ask lead these two million people. But as he trusted God, he got to see God's power in action and his confidence increased. He didn't start off with all this big confidence. You have to trust God first. You don't get the, the, the uh, easy road of having the confidence, oh, I have all the confidence in the world. Then you get to trust God. Doesn't happen that way. Um, <clears throat> so in the wilderness, in his wilderness, uh, Moses developed a relationship with God always a foundation for ministry, right? Otherwise you're doing it in your own strength and it's going to fail. Um, so in his wilderness, um, 
four things happened, and in this order. It produced humility. Uh, he had to, I don't know if you know, remember the story, uh, that uh, he was uh, tending sheep for Jethro, and Jethro gave his daughter Sipporah. And the way that it all came about, the seven daughters of Jethro were at the well. Shepherds were abusing them. Moses defended them. They went home and told the father. Jethro was the priest of Midian. And uh, then he invited Moses over, and there he became a sheep herder. So it produced humility. Then it gave him a vision to free his people. First humility, then the vision, then a dedication. Follow through, trusting God. And fourthly, then he got authority. Then he got some confidence, right? To lead, and it happens in that order. First humility. You said what was those three things again? Humility. Yeah, humility, and then you got a vision, then dedication, okay. then authority. Thank you. If you have a vision, you will be dedicated to follow that up. God gives you a vision. Knowing and trusting God allowed him to lead two million people out of Egypt into a land that they did not know. You ever tried to lead five people? <laughs> ever tried to organize a group of three people and do something? Like, you know? People don't even listen to your suggestion before they make their own suggestion. <laughs> you know, and the closer the person is to you, the harder it is to listen to them. Um, spouses can testify here. Um, yeah, leading two million people. You imagine the ideas and the people, some people were smarter than him. Some people were stronger than him physically. Some people were emotionally more stable than him. And he had to hold all these people together. They probably had all kinds of, and we know the story with them grumbling, where's the food, where's this, right? And he did it. Uh, but he knew he couldn't do it without God. And that dependence on God made him prepared. You would be so overwhelmed so quickly. Right? If you tried to do that yourself. So we have to remember that Moses killed the Egyptian in his own strength. But he led two million people in God's strength. Amen. Night and day. Absolutely. Okay? Surrender to God is the only way to please him and accomplish his purposes. You cannot please God otherwise. There are no shortcuts. You must go through the valley of the shadow of death. In other words, you must... Die to yourself. You must be humbled. You can't get around that. Okay? If you're going to be used by God. Okay, the second character is David. And again, I don't need to say, don't say these are amazing people. Right? Same God. Same opportunity. It's different preparation for David, but with some similarities to Moses. Uh, remember how David learned to trust God. He is out there with sheep, and there's a lion... Or there's a bear. And I had, I must confess, I did not know the size of a lion until I saw some people posting them online in relation to them. They stand about this high. They're not short little tiny things. And I can't even imagine, you must practice quite a bit with your sling before, you know, you want to get good before you, I mean, he's addressing that, you know, or a bear. Or a deer. Yeah, you gotta have some faith. So he developed his faith um, in these fearless acts, you know. Um, he was also prepared in Saul's court, especially for war and battle. 
This is an opportunity. We are put in situations and we can take opportunity to be prepared for certain things that are coming up in our lives that we don't even know about yet. And three, he learned the basis of ruling a nation, the do's and don'ts of a leader. And if you looked at Saul, there was a lot of don'ts. You know, he learned what not to do. If you want to know how not to do it successfully, look at Saul. Then his prep moved to the development, um, to his development as a man of godly character. But this happened uh, through false accusation, which is often the case. Uh, false accusation by Saul of trying to usurp or steal his kingdom. Saul all of a sudden got paranoid. Play for me, David. I'll just um, practice my spear throwing here while you're playing and singing for me. You know, uh, kind of sent a message that, uh, wait, now, Saul is not uh, happy with me. So he had to escape to avoid being killed, basically. So there he goes into the wilderness, right? He's innocent, but driven into the wilderness. And in the wilderness, God both humbled him and tested him. Remember, he had an opportunity to slay Saul, not once, but twice, right? And he refused to take his call to be king into his own hands. He could have, could have. There you go, uh, killed him, had him in the cave, cut a little piece off his cloak, was that close that he could have killed him right there. Um, but he waited for God to raise him up. Even though he was a great warrior, and get this, with the king's army, Saul's army, willing to follow him. Right then, you know, they were willing to abandon Saul and follow David because uh, is it the Psalms that says uh, Saul killed his thousands and David killed his ten thousands? You know, David was a warrior. He was not to be messed with, and they knew that. So he was a leader. Um, so the lesson here, one of the lessons is if, uh, if he were to rule in the Holy Spirit, he could not take control of his own life, but surrender to God's timing. You know, at any point he could have ended the misery of hiding in caves and wandering through the desert, but he would not touch Saul, uh, God's anointed. And an underlying lesson in this is sometimes things are put right in your lap, you know, and there's temptation right there, right at that point, to get what you can for you, or to act in a certain way, to make a certain decision. This is why you we have to be so connected to God, reading the Word and relying on Him in prayer, that something that looks good might not be the right thing, right? Because the enemy wants to get us off on a tangent. Remember um, somebody talking and saying that uh, when you're uh, melting metal, the second last thing to come out is silver and the last thing to come off is gold. Taking the dross off. So we want the gold. We want to wait for the best. David did not seek power and authority, but was given them through surrender to the Holy Spirit. Matthew 16, 25 says, we must give up our life to gain it, right? We must die to self, however you want to say it, humble ourselves. Remember, it was God who put David in the wilderness, right? Who sent him there. And it was God who brought him back after his preparation was finished. No shortcuts. So Saul died, and David didn't even assume the throne for 16 months after Saul died. He still stayed out with his guys, you know, um, and still 
developed. Uh, and we know from the Psalms that he was really surrendered to God. Remember, David is filled with the same Holy Spirit that we are. Okay? He did not receive these character traits through some special act of God. It was not a separate thing that God did for David that he wouldn't do for us. Okay? Same God, same process. David developed love, trust, surrender, and humility over years of preparation. Years. That's not happened just like that. It's some special act. Years of preparation by, Paul's, by Saul's side and in the wilderness. That is, through our experiences, if you put it say that for us, our experiences that God gives us. Now just a little side focus here. Um, somewhere in his preparation, David came to realize or understand or embrace, however you want to say it, the very fact that his relationship with God was the center of his life. I think we know that, but I think we can forget that. You know, I think we can, we can really know we love Jesus. We love him. We're so glad to be here. We are the blessed ones. We're, we're so in love with him, we recognize that we're blessed and we know it. He's the center of our lives. But the enemy will make many other offers to us. And in fact, the enemy will make so many little and big offers that you can hodgepodge a bunch of them together. And it's not one thing that's the center of your life. It's this convoluted thing you create. And the enemy doesn't care, as long as it's not Jesus. Right? Um, but if we claim that our relationship with Jesus is our center, why don't we surrender completely to the Holy Spirit? Why are we holding back that area? You know, what is that thing? Ask God and he'll show you if you think you're totally surrendered. This would mean involving the Holy Spirit in our decisions and our convictions. This would mean not compromising, not being friends with the world. If you don't have a lot of friends because you don't do what the world does, don't feel bad about that. That's okay. I don't go to the places that they do all the stuff that the world does, that how they enjoy themselves. So I don't have a lot of friends that way which is fine by me, you know. We have God as our center, mm -hmm. right? We've made the choice. He has wooed us. He has brought us into the kingdom. So we are not to be of the world. Anything the world has to offer has no real value outside of obedience to God. Okay? He's our center. You can spend all your time doing all these things out here. Okay? but we're really not advancing the kingdom when we're doing that. Since our relationship with God is the center of our lives, uh, we must or we should start living like it is. Our actions should show that God or Jesus is the reason for our living. Amen. Amen. Mm -hmm. David was full of failings, just like us. Uh, his preparation or sanctification made him fully surrendered to God and as a result, greatly used by God, right? Joseph, this amazing story in the Bible, and if you haven't read it lately, 
Just go back and read Genesis 39 to 41 tonight for fun. It, it's, a, it's an amazing story. Um, this story shows how God prepares ordinary people so that his power flows through them. Same could be said for all of these guys. Same could be said for us. So he was his father's favorite. Right? He was the youngest. Um, he was proud. So this is a hard thing. It's the opposite of humble. Right? I mean, just give you a piece of advice. If you have a dream where you see you're holding a sheath and all your relatives bow down to your sheath, their sheaths do. Careful how you present That's not, uh, that often will not be uh, welcomed and embraced, you know. David just blasts in with, here's, here's what happened, right? You guys all bow down to my sheath, right? So, of course, they planned to kill him, and then I think the oldest brother uh, spoke up, and then they just threw him down the well, put some pig's blood on his coat, and said he was dead, a wild animal, and killed him. Um, but uh, <clears throat> remember, God gave him that dream, right? That was part of God's plan, okay? David, or, or uh, Joseph, didn't have to respond the way he did, okay? But here's an opportunity. God presents him with an opportunity. Um, so because of all that, there's Joseph in his wilderness, right? Rejected, rejected. you can't get him. You know, very much more rejected by your family than them want to kill you. Right? That's rejection. Um, so he went into his wilderness to fulfill his calling, to fulfill God's purpose. He's rejected. His life is threatened. But we have to realize that God is in control, same as he is in our lives, as long as we're surrendered to him. Amen. Right? That's why it's so important to be in prayer and be in, and I never pray enough, be in prayer, be in the word as much as you can so you know what God's saying. Um, then he ends up in Pharaoh's household, right? Another stage, another opportunity. Um, he's, he's out, he gets out of the well, and then uh, Potiphar, uh, actually an officer in Pharaoh's household, buys him and uh, has him for a slave or a servant in his house. Uh, so he's learning a bunch of practical skills, right? He's an administrator, you know, looking over all the books and all the stuff and keeping things in order, doing a very good job. Um, and then once, you know, he learns the basic practical skills, here's the next stage. Potiphar's wife takes an interest. It says in the Bible that he is handsome and well-built. Amazing. Yeah. Okay. Be careful. <laughs> Potiphar's wife. Um, and it doesn't just say, like, I, uh, I reread some of this, and it says um, in Genesis 39, 10, day after day. That phrase she propositioned. She said, "Come to bed with me." It wasn't just like a one-time thing. This and this sometimes in your life. That's mm -hmm. nagging, persistent, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. And you're making the good decision, you know. And you keep making the good decision. Um, what was Joseph's response? His response was based on his relationship with God and his loyalty to his master, to Potiphar, right? Mm -hmm. Uh, so in that he showed loyalty and he showed self-control. Self-control. Right? And had he not, you know, had he succumbed to temptation, God would have taught him the lesson again. Right? Would have gave him another opportunity. But 
when this comes to temptation, it also has consequences. And you may never get back, right? Over here and over here and further from God and further from surrender. Because guilt and shame come. Right? They hop on there and then you're further and further away from God. Um, so, we remember the story. He moved along this preparation. One day he's in the house and Potiphar's um, wife takes this opportunity um, to get him alone and she grabs a hold of his cloak and he runs out of the house. But of course, she's still holding his cloak. So she uses that um, to, she holds the cloak, she calls the servant, says, look what he tried to do to me. She keeps the cloak, Potiphar comes home, and she says, look what he tried to do to me. He's thrown in prison. Now check that out. He makes the good decision. He does the right godly thing. Okay? And what happens? He gets falsely accused and thrown into prison anyway. So we can make the good choice. You, we leave here now and we go out and we try to help somebody and do something and we do the good thing. That's not mean it's going to turn out good for us. And God may be trying to show us something else, right? Do something else with us. So he gets uh, thrown into prison. Um, falsely accused in prison. But in prison, uh, he could have got bitter, right? He could have uh, plotted. He could have uh, probably very convincing. Godly man probably could have, you know, charismatic and got some people around him and uh, did some stuff, you know, that weren't, that weren't of God, the things that weren't of God. Um, but instead, humbled himself, became friends with the guards, uh, and his prophetic gift developed. Right? You have all kinds of time. It's a very unpleasant situation. Um, but you can choose to get bitter or turn to God. So he turned to God, developed his prophetic gift, and was humbled by this whole thing. Right? Started off thinking highly of himself and was brought down by God to a humbling place, to a humbled place. So this was very important because... Later on, the brothers came for food. And these people have tried to kill you. You've had no relationship with them since. You haven't grown your relationship with them. Um, and had he not been humble and compassion developed, then when they came for food, you know, he would have sent them away. But he didn't, right? Compassion comes from the experience of pain. Pain. It does. <laughs> Even when it looks like he was getting out of prison, he had to wait two more years. His faith was tested and proved. I can't resist reiterating the story. He's in prison. There's a cupbearer and a baker in prison. Cupbearer has a dream, comes to him and says, um, I have this dream um, that uh, a vine grew up and it butter blossomed, produced grapes, and squeezed the grapes, put them into Pharaoh's cup. He said, oh yeah, what that means is you're going to be reinstated to your position. You're once again going to put Pharaoh's cup in his hand. Baker's all confident at this point, says, oh, that's a good, uh, good interpretation. I'll tell him my dream. Tells him his dream. Um, oh, I'm trying to remember what it was. That, oh, that he had uh, seven baskets of uh, wheat, something on his head. 
and the bird, but it was for Pharaoh. And, uh, but the birds came along and ate the baskets, ate the, ate the <laughs> stuff out of the basket. Yeah. And um, he said, oh, here's the interpretation of that. Um, you are going to uh, be hung by Pharaoh and the birds are going to eat you. <laughs> oh boy, sorry I ask. You know, so then, uh, but the human side of this thing, Joseph says, oh, cupbearer, when you get out, remember me. Right? Get me out of here. Get me out of this prison. So um, he gets out, totally forgets him. There's a line I don't think I wrote down. I think it's 4023, is it? That says uh, the cupbearer forgot Joseph. He okay. did not remember him. And so two years go by. That's how the two years go by. That's why I was telling that whole story. So then, um, sure enough, three days later, it's Pharaoh's birthday. He calls the cupbearer and the baker up. It happens just exactly as he says. Cupbearer is reinstated. He hangs the uh, baker. Um, and two years later, uh, Pharaoh has a dream. This famous line, the cupbearer says, um, today I am reminded of my shortcomings. Pharaoh has that dream where um, seven fat cows and seven skinny cows. <laughs> yeah. And the seven poor cows eat the seven fat cows. And then uh, seven uh, sheaths of grain that are full and good. Farmer will recognize that. And then the seven poor sheaths eat the seven good ones or whatever, devour them somehow. And he says, one and the same dream. Right? You're going to have seven years of famine and seven years of plenty. So you should uh, store up in barns and um, they bring him out of prison. Because Cupbearer says, I remember now there was a guy in prison that interpreted the dream. They bring him out, he interprets the dream, and he says, you should store away in barns for the seven years of famine. You should find somebody that can do this. And he said, who is better to do this and who is wiser than the God of Joseph? So he puts him in charge, and he becomes the second most powerful man in Egypt next to Pharaoh, right? As a result of all this. And before I tell you the conclusion of that, just let me read uh, Psalm 105, 16 to 19, says this. He, that is God, called down famine on the land and destroyed all their supplies of food. And he sent a man before them, Joseph sold as a slave. They bruised his feet with shackles. His neck was put in irons till what he foretold came to pass till the word of the Lord proved him true. Tested and proved. Right? Um, so during these years in prison, he accepted God's authority. He got to the point where even if he spent the rest of his life in prison, he was okay because he had God. He was totally in love, totally sold out with God. But when he got out of prison, he had compassion, he was humble, he was wise, and he was faithful. Right? Even when Pharaoh asked him, I heard your interpreter of dreams interpret my dream, he looked at Pharaoh and said, I can't do it, but my God can interpret it. Right? He was totally sold out to God. Um, Joseph, like Jesus, had compassion in the face of suffering and rejection. Otherwise, the power of becoming the most successful, or the, most, uh, the second most powerful man in Egypt, 
would have destroyed them. Right? You know, it's hard to handle power. And the more power you get, the old saying, power corrupts, absolute power corrupts absolutely, is true. It, it is a, it's a truism, as they say, because that's just what happens unless you're prepared. The same with Moses leading two million people. Couldn't do it without humility. So he is humbled enough to handle uh, being the second most powerful man in all of this huge country. And so when his brothers came, he could treat them well. Um, and in conclusion, just to say, as you increase in authority, you need to increase in humility. Otherwise, many people will get hurt, right? Because you will probably go rise up and go away, brothers, right? Um, <clears throat> from these three examples, we see that first, God will take us into the wilderness if we are believers. This is a definite. You will have opportunity to go into different seasons of wilderness that are more intense than others. If you're a believer, it's going to happen. It's up to you how you respond. You're an active agent in your own life. You can respond however you have your free will to do it, however you want to. Number two, how much we mature depends on how much we're willing to surrender to his sanctification and let go of our own wills. Three, God's preparation is critical to your success, just as it was to every believer's success in and out of the Bible. Success here being the degree of obedience to God and resultant use by God. Right? That's actually success in God's eyes. You might be a failure in the world's eyes. Okay? Moses leaving court and going and doing his own thing to the world, what are you doing? Why are you making that decision to get out of all the money and good stuff? You know, so the, to the world, bad, right? So really, if you wanna know if you're in God's will, <laughs> if the world says it's bad, then it's probably good. Uh, uh, four, and I only have six things that I'm done. Uh, four, God uses adversity, rejection, and all kinds of challenges to shape and mold character. Just pick one. He will, he will use it to shape and mold our characters. Five, these challenges prepare and humble us for ministry. Six, uh, what maturity is and what it is not. Maturity is not how much we know or how well we serve. That doesn't show maturity. Maturity is how we overcome difficult circumstances, circumstances and sufferings. How we... Uh, Navigate successfully our own personal wildernesses through faith in Jesus. Right? That's success. That's maturity. Good job, Richard. All right. Thank you.